Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James. I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hintz. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. Spring football is in full swing at Notre Dame, and that means the Irish are busy hosting recruits on campus as well. Notre Dame just hosted its most important verbal commit, five-star defensive end Keon Keeley, and its most important target, five-star quarterback Dante Moore in the past week. So we thought we'd bring someone on the podcast who knows a thing or two about landing five-star recruits. That's former Notre Dame recruiting coordinator Vinny Serrato. Vinny spent six years working at Notre Dame under Lou Holtz from 1985 to 91 when the Irish were signing some of its best recruiting classes ever. Then Vinny went on to work in the NFL as a scout and front office executive for the San Francisco 49ers and Washington Redskins. Vinny, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Anytime talking Notre Dame football is fun. All right. Vinny, I know, I know a, a lot has changed with college football recruiting since you were at Notre Dame, but what, what did you think were the most important parts of a campus visit when a recruit was coming to campus? And how did you, and how much did that depend on each individual recruit and how you would tailor that visit for that recruit? Now, the key was the host. That was it. The key was our players. And that was the bottom line. I mean, because I could be out there recruiting a kid for a year and a half and within 48 hours, if he had a bad visit, didn't matter what I did for a year and a half, it was over. But our, our players bought in, our good players, our best players bought in. I remember when Irv Smith visited, you know, and everybody said, why would you want to go there, Irv? Derek Brown, just a freshman. And guess who hosted Irv Smith? Derek Brown, you know, and, and telling him, hey, listen, we got enough room for everybody. You know, we want to be great. We want the best players. So, I mean, that was the thing. Your players, your players are the ones that get it done at the end. That's, uh, that's interesting. I know um, you had four number one classes in a row. Right now, Notre Dame is sitting at number one in the 93 cycle. And Marcus Freeman, the new head coach, has been really involved as a lead recruiter. How much was – what was Holtz's role? Was he more of a closer for you or was he out front with you? No, he was definitely a closer. You know, that, that's what coach was, was he would, he would close, close the deals. I was the one that, you know, be, I went out and traveled a lot. So I, you know, like during the, during the season, like on Sundays, during the season, what I would do, the coaches would prepare their games and stuff. On Sunday, I'd sit on the phone all day. We'd have a staff meeting at noon. And as soon as we get on the staff meeting, I'd sit at my desk and I would call kids. I had a list of like 80 kids and I would call them every week and I would take notes on every kid. And it would take me till Wednesday night to get through to call them all. And that's what I did. And then I went in every kid's home, you know, so I knew every kid. When I walked into the home, all the kids knew me because I had talked to like when I would call for kid wasn't there. I didn't care. I talked to the sister, the brother, the mom. So when I walked into the home, everybody knew me. Hey, Vinny's here, you know? So, I mean, I was about relationships. That was my big thing. It's about, you know, relationships. And when I went into the home, my job was to sell to school, sell to coaches, you know, and that's what I was there to do. I was, you're going to get the best education. You're going to get the opportunities after graduate, after graduation. You're going to have the opportunity to go to the NFL. My thing was I wanted guys that number one wanted to go to the NFL number two wanted to get a great education because that's the type of athletes that we needed 
when Notre Dame has not succeeded, my opinion, they went after, we got to get the great students. And then we got to get guys that are also good football players. No, that won't cut it with the schedule that you got to play into and to be national championships. It's got to be the opposite. You got to have guys that want to be the first pick, you know, in the NFL draft, you got to have the Todd lights, Jerome Bettis the rocket issue, the guys that want to be great. And then, you know what, if they go to the NFL after three years, that's awesome. Because when we won a national championship in 88, you know, the school got the highest donations they've ever had. So it works mm -hmm. hand in hand. Vinny, I'm curious, when you're, you were having those conversations with those recruits, what, what were the signs you were looking for? Uh, how did you gauge how interested a guy was and where you sort of stood with the recruit? What, what were the key aspects of making sure you had a good grasp of where you were at if, if getting this recruit was realistic? I could tell on a telephone, I could tell by their voice when I would call them every week, you know, if a kid was excited, I knew, you know, if a kid was like kind of standoffish, I knew there was something wrong, you know, plus I did a lot of investigating stuff, you know, and, and Tom Lemming helped me a lot with a lot of the kids. So I was pretty in tune with uh, all our, I mean, because we would only visit for us to get 25, we'd visit 40. You know, we'd have it narrowed down that much. And we could get our 25 out of the 40. You know, the, uh, the way things are going, and some of this is post-pandemic, and some of it is just how recruiting's changed. But Notre Dame, now they'll get a kid to commit, and then he's taking visits elsewhere. And, and I, you know, I, I think some coaches have drawn a hard line against that. Marcus seems to be willing to live with that. I'm wondering what your sense of that. I mean, has recruiting changed that much that you've got to let kids go visit other schools when they're committed? Once they commit, we didn't have – see, my here was my philosophy, you know, was that, I mean, to get a sophomore recruited, you know, I mean, we didn't like to commit kids till, you know, I wanted to give them every opportunity to show what they could do. So my preference was to wait till they were seniors, but you can't do that anymore. So, right. you know, so the thing now is, is you've got to guess. I mean, you've got to project your job. I mean, if you're taking a sophomore, you're projecting what he's going to be. And you know what? They're going to have more bus than I had because we didn't take a lot of kids till their senior year. We would take a few kids their junior year, you know, in camp, uh, those kind of things. But I wanted them to have every opportunity and I wanted to watch all the stuff that they did. I wouldn't offer a kid. And I was the only one that offered kids of all our coaches, you know, and I wouldn't offer them unless I saw them do something live whether it be basketball, whether it be football, you know, something live I wanted to see. And I was on the road a lot where I could do those kind of things. But, um, yeah, it would have been it, – it, and I, I'll guarantee you that most of our kids, like the year that we are, are probably our best class, we had 23 kids with – I think it was Bettis and all those kids. We had 20, 19 of them went to the NFL. So we didn't have a lot of bus, and I think because Newham – up till their senior, you saw them progress. You know, you saw what they were as sophomores in high school. You saw them as juniors, and then we offered them as a senior. Now you got to offer them so much earlier, so I'll guarantee you the hit rate's not as high. 
Just a quick follow-up. Bettis is back on campus this yeah. spring, finishing up his degree. What do you think about that? I think it's awesome. You know, because here's the thing. You know, one of the biggest things we sold was, you know, the education. The education you get at Notre Dame and the opportunities after graduation. You know, so for Jerome, and he doesn't need it financially. I mean, he's set for life. But for him to go back and get his degree, that talks about what the Notre Dame degree means. And I think, and during the recruiting prom process, he promised mom and dad. I remember me and Joe Moore got in a private plane, flew up there to Jerome's house, and it was Super Bowl Sunday night. Me and Joe were flying during the game. That's awesome. Wow. Quarterback recruiting seems a bit complicated because you're probably not taking more than one, and you're, you're probably interested in more than one. I think there's sometimes you feel like you maybe have to draw a line. Like, okay, this is the guy we want. How did you navigate that? Did you generally have to go all in on one quarterback, or you were able to keep a handful of guys interested? You know, what was funny was, like, you know how we got Tony Rice was, when I was at University of Minnesota, we were recruiting Ricky Foggy, you know, who was from South Carolina also. And Tony was from South Carolina. And Ricky's the one that Ricky's the one that told me about Tony. He said, hey, there's another kid down there that's better than him. You know, so when I went, you know, because Tony wasn't going to be interested in Minnesota. So when I went to Notre Dame, you know, and his coach, Coach Varner, I remember Coach Varner, you know, and I was at every one of Tony's basketball games, you know. So we, we recruited – Tony the one year, then, then, I mean, I recruited Rick for a while just cause he was local, you know, and I was at all his games and he was at our games, you know, I mean, he was, he was like part of the team before, you know, and then when we played in the uh, national championship game, I was on the phone with him and all his buddies telling them to play. Cause I'd be on the sidelines cause Rick was around enough where he knew what, what our system was. So I, I would be up there and I'd get the play call. And I say, hey, Rick, here's what it is. And he'd be there watching the game with all his buddies. So he liked that. And then, you know what, with Kevin McDougal, his dad and Kevin, they were from uh, uh, Florida, and they loved to golf. Every visit we had was on the golf course, the three of us. We'd go play golf. You know, so I always found, like, what the hot spot was, what they liked to do, you know. Um, and, and then Jake Kelchner we took. I was telling that story to one of my buddies the other day because he said he saw John Lynch. And it became down, it came down to Jake Kelchner or John Lynch. And John Lynch happened to be on the West Coast. So Tony Yelovich had Jake Kelchner on campus, and they were over at Frank X Sports Bar at the time, you know. And and I said, Tony, listen, you got till midnight until uh if Jake doesn't come in, I'm taking John Lynch because you know it was West Coast time. So I bought time with John till nine. nine. John so, you know, I kept calling Tony. I said, Tony, do you know anything yet? No, no. You know, I'm sitting in my house on my phone, you know, working. We're taking one or the other. And, you know, then Tony finally said, yeah, he said he'll come. I said, okay. Then I had to call John Lynch say, you know, you, you know, you're not coming. So we wouldn't take a lot of quarterbacks, you know. Um, you know, we had Tony. We had Rick. We had Jay Kelchner, Kevin McDougal. That was pretty much was you it, know, did you have Kent Graham? What's that? Was Kent Graham one of yours? Oh yeah, Kent. Well, Kent was Kent was before all them, you know, mm -hmm. and then Tony and then Tony passed him up, yeah. you know, just athletically, just passed him, just passed him by. And then Kent left. He didn't stay long, if I recall. Yeah, he went to Ohio State. Yeah.
So I, I'm curious about your impressions of Marcus Freeman as a, from a recruiting standpoint. And do you think recruiting has changed so much Notre Dame could never again have a number one class or, or do you think that's possible? You know, I mean, they said the same thing when we went there, that Notre Dame couldn't win again. You know, you, you couldn't recruit. You couldn't get the best players. To me, you know, it's about work, man. It's about, it's about going after the kids. And it's about – the biggest thing is, is you got to make it the place to be. We made Notre Dame the place to be. You know, and how did we do that? Um, we won games. And, you know, like when I got there, you know, I, and I like Jerry Faust, but Jerry – recruited for the newspapers and for all that stuff, you know, and, and um, if you, the biggest thing is if you ask other coaches, you know, and you say, when Jerry Faust was there, how'd Notre Dame recruit? They took a lot of dogs, you know, but I mean, they got high ratings. Whereas when we went out, you know, cause I remember saying, you know, we got to get guys like Miami, like Florida state, we got to get those kind of guys and we got to get, we got to beat them in recruiting. That's the biggest thing that we had to do. We didn't get hardly any kids from Ohio. Lewis, Lewis always pissed about that because we couldn't get it from kids from Ohio, but we could get them from the South Carolinas and those kind of things, you know, because Notre Dame, Notre Dame's a national institution. That's, that was the thing that we always sold also. Well, just a quick follow-up. What was the, were there any particular areas or States that were the hardest to pull kids out of? Um, now, you know, like when we first, when I first started there, you know, it was UCLA was playing competition. Then we kind of, we kind of wore them. We, we handled them, you know, um, and then it, and then it became, then it became Michigan. And then, you know, it was less miles and he would always negative recruit us. And then after, after a while, it, you know, we became so dominant and winning game and, and the, the kids love how our kids play, you know, I, I mean, you can say what you want, but we were tough. The kids fought, they were, you know, I mean, they were, they had, they had pizzazz to them when they played. It was, it was, a, it was the place to be. They were all going to the NFL, which they all liked, you know? So um, UCLA at first, then Michigan. And then, then it was, you know, we, we got kids, we got kids from everywhere it, and it didn't really matter. We didn't take a lot from Indiana, um, but we took them. I, I was big on uh, the South, you know, at that, I guess I was an SEC guy early on, you know, <laughs> you had a curve. Uh, what, what, what bothered you more, Vinny, the, the recruits that you wanted, but couldn't get to come to Notre Dame or the recruits who you passed on ended up being great elsewhere. Kids I passed on. That and I was telling that story the other day, Bob Whitfield, because I took Darren Krein, you know, ended up became, you know, went to Miami, you know, so that that one kind of because Darren told me he was coming and then he backed out. And then I had to tell Whitfield he wasn't coming because I was a good guy and I wouldn't go over, you know, go over like everybody else was. Um, so Whitfield wanted to come and he ended up going to Stanford. And then the other one who won't ever let me live it down is, and I'm going to see him in July at the hall of fame ceremonies, cause I'm going to see BY is Baselli. He was a tight end out of Colorado. And I just didn't think that he would ever be big enough, you know, to play tight end. So I screwed up on, on that one. Cause he, he would have come too. Wow. 
I heard he he mentioned you in a recent interview that I saw. So I, that was that was one of the inspirations for the question that I, I heard him yeah. talking about. Yeah, Vinny Serrano told me no, so I couldn't go to none. I did. I did. <laughs> he was, he was so skinny, you know, and I, I was yeah. stupid on that one. But, I mean, <laughs> we had, you know, we ended up with, you know, we did fine, you know, with Aaron Taylor and those guys. But to have Baselli too, would have been nice. Vinny, I want to switch it up a little bit and tap into your NFL experience and wonder what your impression of Kyle Hamilton is and how important is a 40 time when evaluating a safety like him? Well, the thing is, um, I watched him on film, so I graded him out. I, I like him, you know, and he, here's the thing is, is it's about functional. Does he play fast? You know, like Sean Taylor, he didn't have the fastest time, you know, and Sean Taylor was the fifth pick of the draft and, if Sean Taylor wouldn't have been uh, shot and killed, he probably might have been the best safety of all time. Um, but the, the thing with Kyle Hamilton is he's got range. He'll tackle. He'll come up. You can play him in a lot of different positions. Here's the only thing that scares me about Kyle Hamilton is he's not really a weight room guy right now, at least physically. He doesn't look. I mean, if he gets to 230-something, what happens to him? You know, that's the thing that scares me a little bit about him. But his ball skills and his range – you know, you see a little bit, you know, where instead of being four, five, six, if he was like the Michigan kid, Dax Hill, I love Dax Hill. He runs four, three, you know, but he's not six foot four, you know? So, I mean, there's some good safeties in the draft this year. And Dax Hill was from Booker T Washington. Guess who was, guess two of our better players from Booker T. The Brooks brothers. Yes, it was. Good job. <laughs> Thanks. There gets passing grades. Uh, Vinny, along those NFL lines, uh, Marcus Freeman seems to have really tapped into the, the Notre Dame alums that are either in the NFL or have played in the NFL and has really sort of leaned into that. How important do you think that is maybe for the team and also for, from a recruiting aspect that they can sort of see these guys? I mean, just today, Kyle Rudolph was at practice and talked to the team afterwards. Obviously, Jerome Bettis is on campus, so he's around, but he's been sort of bringing in guys pretty – pretty routinely to come on, on the campus and get to get to talk to both recruits and, and players. Well, I, I think he spent time and talked to Lou, right? You know, yes. and I think Lou Lou always had a ton of ton of guests, you know, speaking, whether it be a pro golfer or those, you know, and Lou had Joe Seisman. You know, Lou was Lou was the one, and I'm guessing that he told Freeman, you got to get, you know, the former guys in there and stuff, because that's the big selling point. The NFL let's let's face it today the nfl is a selling point you know and i notre dame's got a phenomenal education phenomenal you know but the thing that these kids want is the kids want to go to the nfl the parents want to hear about the education too so you know you got to work both but the parents also want their kid to have a chance to go to the nfl and notre dame is providing all those things and with notre dame education you know, because, you know, Lou would always talk about, you know, a 30 year plan, you know, because the average NFL career is 4.5 years. So and I'd sit in the kids home. I said, listen, the average NFL career is 4.5 years and you come out at 21 at 26 or 25. What are you going to do for the rest of your life? You better have that degree, you know, because if you're great, all right, you're playing till you're 28 or 29 or 30. You still got to have your degree and still have to do something after. And look at your own. Same kind of thing, you know. Derek Brown, I still talk to Derek. You know, those kind of things. Um, I got a couple left for you. One is, were you involved with the Randy Moss recruitment? I was not. 
Okay. What I was what? I was I was gone uh, by then. I was in San Fran. I was I was with uh, Jerry Rice and T.O. I was involved with drafting T.O. That would have been a story about T.O. How about this? We're in the third round. We're in the third round, and we were picking last. And we had three guys left on our board. And I told George Seifert, our head coach, I said, George, we got three guys left on our board that we like in this in this round with our third round pick, you know. And we were three picks away, and like one, two of them went the next two picks. One was to Buffalo, and I can't remember who the other. And the last guy standing was T.O. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, being, you know, in the draft, you got to be lucky too. And that was, that was one falling our way. Uh, okay. My last question then is um, Jim Bowden's son, Chad, is Notre Dame's newest director of recruiting. It's the first guy that I can remember since you that wasn't a position coach uh, that is directing recruiting. What's, what's the advantage to not having a position to manage and that so forth, to really be 100% full-time recruiting? Well, the biggest thing that I had the advantage over everybody, and that's what Joe Paterno got pissed about, was I was one of the nine assistants. People don't do that anymore because as me being one of the nine assistants, I could go out on the road, you know, and that's what I did. So I could be face-to-face. And I would leave the first year I was at Notre Dame, I was able to go at any time till Paterno got pissed off and got the rules changed because I left in August and I went to all high school two days and I took all our lists and I went and I watched every kid and I eliminate and I narrowed our list down, you know, and I fought, and what I did was I found out which of our coaches were good evaluators and which weren't, <laughs> you know, that was, that was one of the biggest things. So I don't think people have done that, you know, had, a guy be the ninth guy and be able to go on the road. That was the advantage that I had because I was able to, because, you know, these guys now they sit in the office and they got to watch film. You know, I could watch film and I went on the road and I saw them. I saw them play basketball. I saw them play football. I was at all these, you know, football games, you know, so I could be present because what I told coach was, you know, because all these coaches, you know, they want to go on Friday nights to see, I said, coach, let me just say this. You take the coaches by you winning games does more for us than in recruiting than them being at a game on Friday night. I'll be at all those games on Friday night that we need to be at. I'll do that stuff. You just go win games. And that's what we did. You know, so it was, it was different. I give coach a lot of credit, you know, because he let me be one of the nine and he was calling the plays and, you know, and, and he coached, they only coached with eight. They coached with one guy less than most, you know, but, but if you got the players, it's a lot easier to coach. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, Vinny, we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. It's always good to catch up with you. And uh, I, I don't think we could ever run out of interesting stories that we could get out of you. So we'll, we'll have to do it again. All right. Well, anytime guys. All right. Now it's time for place your bets. How much you want to make a bet? I can throw a football over the mountains. This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets based on our early spring football impressions. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under four and a half wide receivers with 20 catches this season. Well, I thought the question was originally going to be over or under four and a half wide receivers on the team, which is not too far from being right at the moment. Um, You know, Michael Mayer is going to have a lot of catches, so then you kind of, 
go through and say, okay, Lindsay, probably Styles, Davis, and Colsey. Those are the four that I feel pretty good about. You know, I think Wilkins and Tobias Merriweather are kind of the wild cards. That Those are the two guys most right. likely to get you to over. And I just haven't been sold on Wilkins' health or consistency. Tobias, I think, is going to be really good at some point. I don't know how if Chansey's going to be a lot better at bringing him along than Dell Alexander would have been, who, who incidentally got a job today with Georgia Tech, um, coaching wide receivers there. So I'm going under. Um, I'm going to go over. Last year they hit four. Um, Kevin Austin Jr. had 48. Braden Lindsay had 32. Avery Davis had 27. And Lorenzo Styles had 24. Um, the year before, McKinley had 42, Skoranek had 29, and Davis had 24. Um, so five would be, at least in recent years, high, higher than they've been. Um, but I, I think they can do it. I, I think – and maybe maybe like they're bad. And there may be a portal guy that jumps in here too. True, yeah. There very, very well could be someone that's not on the roster that could be added later. Um, but, but I think of those five – I mean, they're the five guys. I, I think Wilkins could be one of those five. Um, and maybe, I mean, some, it could work not in Notre Dame's favor as a big picture, but from a statistical mark, like uh, Lorenzo Styles doesn't get 24 catches last season unless all those guys get hurt last year. Um, so maybe this, uh, the way that these guys haven't been able to stay healthy, uh, maybe someone has starts off well and then doesn't, isn't able to finish the season and someone else sort of steps up and gets 20 catches because of that. So I'm going to go over. I think uh, I'm not terribly confident in it, um, but I do think, their their skill sets are varied enough, and, and I think Chancey Stuckey is going to try to play those guys in different spots and try to do a better job of rotating those guys that, than I think it has been done in the past. So uh, that's why I'm going over. Next one we have is over under five and a half interceptions for safety, Brandon Joseph. I tried to make this into a trigonometry problem. Um, Notre Dame plays three teams that were in the top 25 in pass efficiency. They play nine teams that were 78 or below or so they're playing some bad passing teams. So that's a check mark in Brandon's favor. His all American year at Northwestern, which was 2020, he had six. And then last year he had three. Um, you know what? The fact that he has five and seven practices, I think bodes well. Um, so I'm going to go over. I'm going to roll the dice with Brandon Joseph after interviewing him today. He had me fired up. Yeah. So uh, Chris O'Leary said he had, uh, the safeties coach said that Brandon Joseph had actually had an interception in every practice. So it sounds like he may have been a little bit off there based on Brandon's recollection of only having five. I was actually talking to Ramon Henderson about it because he was sort of talking about the competition they have in the safety room in terms of guys trying to get more interceptions. They have like, teams um that are competing with each other that are broken up certain safeties on one team certain safeties on the other for turnovers and stuff like that and and he's like well brandon joseph is a big reason why my team's not in first because we can't get, catch him um and i said well well i said like how does that motivate he's like well i mean i'm kind of getting mad at the quarterbacks because there's been some pretty bad passes there that are helping Brandon. <laughs> So, so maybe Notre Dame playing some passing offenses that aren't great will also help Brandon during the season too. So I'm going to go over. I think he's a playmaker. I mean, it was like one of the first red zone plays we saw um, in practice on Saturday. He picked up a 
believe it was a Drew Pine pass to the, to the wide side of the field. And um, he's just, he's sort of all over the place. And I think um, we'll be given plenty of opportunities to do that in Notre Dame's defense. I got two side notes on that. One is Brandon said that he absolutely bit on the run fake and that his, he attributes the mental toughness that he learned from Matt Bayless and winter workouts to him being able to switch it. And then his recovery speed obviously was there to get that pick. The other thing was the word dogs. I, I used his quote about, I wanted to play with dogs and I'm playing with dogs. And then you hear Vinny Serrano <laughs> saying dogs. And dogs. so it's a generational thing. So maybe so people my age group probably are saying, why doesn't he like his teammates? And then <laughs> your age, you're probably saying, wow, they got a lot of dogs. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. There's probably, a, I wonder what that age uh, cutoff is in terms of the, the way that they use the phrase dogs. Uh, but yeah, that's funny. Um, next one, who will start at safety at Ohio State? Well, it was interesting because as, as Brandon described it, they rotating the depth chart, they're rotating strong safety and free safety. They call it boundary and field. Um, so they're looking at different combinations and they're really looking at this group as a, a depth unit together. And so you're not locked into the positions. I think if you were Houston Griffith would be a starter. I don't think he is. So I think it's going to be Brandon Joseph and either Ramon Henderson or DJ Brown. I think DJ's probably one of the more versatile guys right at the moment. So I'm going to say DJ and Brandon Joseph. Yeah, that's the same answer I have. Um, one thing that when I was talking to Chris O'Leary, he mentioned, um, he was asked like, what, what makes a good boundary safety versus a field safety? He said, well, it depends on if we're playing base defense or if we're playing nickel defense, that that plays a role in it. Um, and I would imagine Notre Dame's going to be playing a lot of nickel defense. Um, against Ohio State, who will be very good at passing the pass, passing the ball. Um, so uh, I don't know what that means exactly in terms of who it ends up being, but my, my my guess would be Brandon Joseph and DJ Brown. I just don't know that that makes a lot of sense for Houston Griffith to be in the starting lineup against Ohio State um, and that that passing attack. Next one, more touches, Audric Estime or Jadarian Price? And I assumed you meant for the season on that. Yeah, and, and it was interesting in talking to Dylan McCullough because his depth chart isn't linear. It's more about jobs. Like I want a third and seven back and I want a short yards back. I want a two minute, last two minutes of the game, run out the clock back. I think Audric is going to be able to claim more of those jobs, but I'm not super confident in that. Not because of Audric, but because Dylan McCullough loves Jadarian Price, and he brought him up. You know, like we didn't have to say, "Hey, how's the freshman coming along?" He's like, "Hey, that freshman's going to play," and then start listing his qualities. And you're like, "Whoa!" But I think Chris Tyree is going to get some of the jobs Jadarian Price would be really good at. So that therefore, estimate is my guy in this equation. Yeah, that that's what sort of informed my decision to go with Estime. Although I, I probably would have said the same thing this time last year about Estime or Diggs of who would be first in line and thinking that Diggs was too similar to the other guys and so he wouldn't have an opportunity. And then sure enough, he gets the opportunity. But I, I think there's more confidence growing in what Estime can do and, and maybe more of a need for what he can do. Um, 
it, Plus, it, he's more versatile. Yeah, you know? I mean, he's more versatile than we gave him credit for. Yeah, I mean, he he can catch passes. He's nifty with his footwork. I didn't see that last August. That's the one thing that made me doubt. I thought the same thing as you in terms of Estime and Diggs. And then when I saw them in the scrimmage, Estime kept taking it too far east and west, and they'd catch yeah, up. Yeah, practice it. last year, yeah. Yeah, and and Diggs was was taking it up in inside, and I thought, hmm. Um, but Estime does not have that problem anymore. So <laughs> I I am going to enjoy watching him. All right, last last prop bet I have for us. Over under 13 and a half tackles for a loss for Maris Leofau. Well, to me, Maris Leofau is linebacker one. Um, just watching him in one practice, the way he moves, the way he flows, the that 13 and a half number I think is going to be really dependent on how much Al Golden wants to blitz, how aggressive he wants to be. You know, and looking back last year, Isaiah Foskey was the leader with 12 and a half as a defensive end. And then the number one linebacker in tackles for losses was seven. The year before, the linebacker leader was Jeremiah Usukormo with 11. And then he had 13 and a half in 2019. And then uh, 2018, it was uh, Coney with nine and a half. I think. I think 13 and a half is an ambitious number because I also think Prince Collie's going to rotate in some. I mean, Maris is going to play a lot, but Collie's got to play some too. So I'm going to go under, even though I think Maris is going to be really good. Yeah, I I'm going under as well. Um, I was trying to figure out a number that we could get a split decision on, but I, I didn't do uh, a good enough job with that. I it's I. I, I think he's going to be all over the field, but I'm just not sure that he can get to that total. Um, I, I think he could absolutely have the type of season that Jeremiah Usukormo had in 2019. Um, but I, I just, I, I want to see it uh, on in games on Saturdays before, before making what I would think is a pretty bold prediction with that number. I probably could have lowered it a bit to get it, to make us think a little bit harder about it. Um, but I'm expecting very big things from Maris Leifau this, this coming season, even though I'm taking the under here. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Inside Lounge, Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First question is from at Brian Swint. Which player slash players stand to benefit the most from the coaching changes made since the end of last season? You know, this is a really good question, and a lot of times there's some really obvious answers in terms of guys that were buried in the on the depth chart that got a new lease with the new position coach. I don't see a lot of those. I see the benefit more that the player is overall better. Um, but I'm going to try to answer it in the old, old way. Um and, and if I do that, I think Tobias Merriweather is going to be the guy who's not even on campus yet, but I think Chansey's going to be able to get a freshman ready and get him in the rotation. I think Tobias will be ready. I think mentally he is. He's running track uh, now in the Pacific Northwest, um, and I think he'll he'll be a guy that's not going to sit on the sideline and people go, what, why isn't he playing? So – from the non-traditional part of this question, I think Brandon Joseph 
is the guy. And I, you, you could say any of the offensive linemen, but I think Brandon Joseph, the fact that Al Golden wants him to learn and play equally as well, strong safety and free safety. Brandon was pretty fired up about that. He's talked about how much it's already made him a better player. And so that would be my answer in kind of a non-traditional sense. Yeah. It's funny that you picked two guys that weren't playing for the previous coaches. So it's uh, yeah. I say that they were being held back by Notre Dame's coaches last season. Uh, I, I, I had three guys that I thought of for various reasons for receiver. I, I said Lorenzo styles because I think Chancey Stuckey will use him all over the place. I think he was going to be a stud regardless. Um, yeah. So some people, I think we're taking it back and thought I was like taking a shot at Jordan Johnson when Jordan Johnson transferred. Um, because I had said something like, Hey, who do you want more Jordan Johnson or Lorenzo styles? And I was, I was adamant that Lorenzo styles is a better receiver than Jordan Johnson is. Um, and I, I'm feeling pretty good about that prediction right now. Um, but I, I just think the way that the coaching staff has been reshaped, he will be utilized in a better way than maybe he would have as a sophomore um, under the previous regime. Um, Jacob Lacey playing nose guard should be more natural for him. I think keep him there is the best thing for him. Best thing for the defensive line. Um, and I thought about him. Al Washington seems to be of the same mind there. I'm curious to see what happens when Jason Adam gets back. Do they move Howard cross to play more there? What does that timeshare look like? But um, I just think it's, it's a better, better fit for Jacob Lacey to play, play nose guard. Um, and uh have him in tandem with Howard Cross if that's what they really want to do. But I think Howard Cross is probably better off as a three technique too. Um, so that's a, for all the good things that Mike Elston did, I wasn't really sure how or why that happened. I know Jacob Lacey's dealt with some injuries, so it's been hard to, for him to sort of show everything that he can, but that's been one. And then the other one that uh, sort of a, uh, an obvious pick, but not for the, maybe the reason you would assume um, Tyler Buckner um, and that's because the offensive line is going to be a lot better because of Harry Easton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that his job's going to be a little bit easier uh, as as the quarterback. And now it could be Drew Pine too, but whoever's the quarterback is. But I went with Tyler Buckner. Um, I think uh, he will be benefit from Harry Easton being the offensive line coach greatly. Uh, next question from the Insider Lounge: SJB seventy five coming off the visit this week. What are your current thoughts on Notre Dame securing a commitment over the next three to four months? from Dante Moore. Well, I, I'm glad that he said three to four months. You know, in my chat yesterday, I was pretty confident Dante would try to wrap this up in April. You know, coming out of the visit, it looks like he wants to, you know, according to his dad, Otha, he wants to take some official visits. And I don't blame him. I don't feel like this is a kid that's ungrounded. I actually think after taking the, taking the time, he does not want to back out of a commitment. Um, so he wants to make sure. Now, he may take one visit and go to Ohio State and say, you know what? Notre Dame feels like home. I'm just going to end this. Uh, but I still feel good that he ends up being Notre Dame's quarterback in the 2023 class. I mean, recruiting is so weird. Um, and I can list many examples, including C.J. Leak, way, way back where this was during the Bob Davey era, where um, C.J. Leak was going to come to Notre Dame 
And as a condition of that, Bob Davey could not recruit any other quarterbacks in the class. He had to take a look at his little brother, who ended up being pretty good, C.J. Lee. Um, and he wasn't allowed to really look at quarterbacks in the next class. Bob Davey agreed to all that. And at the 11th hour, the kid picks Wake Forest. So, you know, that's how recruiting is. How did Bob Davey lose a recruit to Wake Forest? I know. And this was when Wake Forest wasn't very good. You kind of wonder if there was some NIL stuff going under the table at that point with Wake Forest and, and, and CJ Lee, um, CJ Leak didn't stick at, uh, Wake Forest. He ended up at Tennessee and didn't play there. Chris Leak, the little brother ended up being the better prospect of the two. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the timeline is the, the sort of the hot button concern for Notre Dame fans. I think because they're a little bit nervous. Okay, are, if we're going all in for Dante Moore, shouldn't we be getting some return on that investment sooner rather than later? Um, and I know that may make some people uncomfortable, but I, I think Notre Dame is Notre Dame is comfortable with that. They they feel good about where they're sitting with Notre Dame or with Dante Moore, um, and they're going to do what they feel like they need to do and, and see out as long as they need to see it out to get him in the class. I think he's that good. They think he's the guy that they want. Um, now, if, if he decides to, if, it, if they say, okay, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to take a while now. Should we, I mean, I think you probably should at least entertain bringing some other guys on, on visit on campus for visits that you, that you want. Like, is it, can you, can you revisit the Christopher Vizina thing and keep him as a possibility? I, I don't know uh, how he would receive that, but I also think like if, if you go out all down to all, all in on Dante Moore and, in August, he decides to commit somewhere else. The staff isn't going to just like, well, okay, we'll just take, uh, we'll take some scrub that we we that's the only guy left. Like they're going to say, okay, well, let's go, let's go talk to Christopher Vizina, see what, see if he really is committed to wherever he ended up committing. Uh, let's go talk to uh, Jackson Arnold. Does he really want to go to Oklahoma? Um, I don't think that they'll be afraid to sort of mix it up with going after some of those top guys late if they end up missing on Dante Moore. Now that's a, it's a it's a gamble because quarterbacks. There isn't as much late changing or late decisions when it comes to quarterbacks. A lot of that's because you can sort of build your class around those quarterbacks and it's very helpful. Um, but uh, they kind of slot, there's almost like this unspoken agreement. Okay. I'm going here. You're going there kind of thing until the, until the it's time to get into the portal, then they all move again. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's become a bit of a cliche to call it like quarterback dominoes. Uh, that's sort of how it works. Like one goes and then another one goes and they sort of all sort of follow. So like Nico Iamalieva sort of, I think is probably starting this, what people think is this maybe this next wave of quarterback commitments. Um, and we'll see how that all plays out. But Notre Dame likes where it's sitting with uh, Dante Moore. Someone told me that they said the visit um, was went unbelievable. Um, so I, I, there certainly is, is confidence from Notre Dame on, on where, where it sits with Dante Moore. It, the timeline, um, I'm not as certain about how that is going to look exactly. But like you said, uh, his father told Kyle Kelly, our, our recruiting reporter, before the visit that uh, he plans to try to take official visits. And so um, we'll see if that comes true. Um, anything can sort of happen in recruiting. And I think sometimes for these recruits, you just like, there's this moment, you're like, okay, this, I, I know what I want to do. And then whatever you had planned, you say, 
screw the plans. <laughs> this is what I want to do. We're going to, we're going to, we're going right. to now. Um, and so whenever Dante Moore has that moment will be when his recruitment sort of comes to an end. Next question from the Insider Lounge from Loyal Sun 2005. We're pretty familiar with the top recruiting names. I'd be interested in learning who are the important names by position that we don't know. The next best names. Thanks. Um, I, I, I'll jump in here. I'd like to, I'd like to think that we've covered most of the names that are notable. So I think he, I think he probably knows who Notre Dame is most interested in, sort of what he's getting at. But, but I think part of what is setting Notre Dame's current recruiting, was setting Notre Dame's recruiting apart is like they're going after the top guys and they're not going much farther down their list than their top guys. Like they're not, they're not in this sort of settling uh, for lower tier guys portion of the recruiting process yet. Um, it seemed like sometimes there were cycles, they'd go after the low hanging fruit first just to get the class going and then aim higher. And it doesn't. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it would be like at positions where maybe they struck out the class before it's like, okay, we can't, we can't get terrible defensive tackles this class. So we better get a defensive tackle commit early. Uh, which certainly Notre Dame was familiar with to getting bad defensive tackle commits. <laughs> um, I will leave those unnamed for now, but uh, I, I think uh, so. So a guy they stole from Rutgers. So, so I don't know that there is a long list of like names that you wouldn't be that familiar with at Notre Dame that, that will end up mattering for Notre Dame. Um, because they've done a good job of getting them on campus too. Right. And, and, and they're, I mean, Obviously, there's positions like wide receiver where there's a lot of guys that they're going after, um, but they don't have any commitment. So it, it, it certainly they could end up expanding the board or prioritizing different guys later on. But they're going to they're going to they're going for Carnell Tate. They're going for Braylon James. They're going for Jaden Greathouse, Roddy Gallagher. Those are the guys that they really want. Um, so some some guys that so I, I don't I went through position by position and I couldn't really think of some names in a number of the positions. I think some guys. Some of them are the, some of the more recent offers, like on the offensive line, Sam Pendleton. Um, he's a guy that Notre Dame recently offered and is planning to get on campus. Elijah Page is an offensive tackle from the same high school in, in Phoenix as uh, Tosh Baker. Um, those are two guys that Harry Heastan has offered um, as new offers. There hasn't been a ton of new offensive line offers since he came here. He's liked a number of the guys that Jeff Quinn has already offered and made, made, the, made those guys priorities. Connor Knight is a defensive tackle. Um, out of Alabama, who Notre Dame offered not too long ago. So if, if Notre Dame doesn't get Jason Moore or Devin Houston or they uh, aren't able to make things work with uh, Bubakar Treor, um, the defensive lineman who was recently committed to Boston College and backed off of his commit, um, those are those are sort of like the top priority guys. But I think Connor Knight could be another guy to maybe keep it, keep an eye on. Um, the other the other thing is safeties. Um, Caleb Downs, I think, I mean, it's the thing I, Notre Dame is still in the running there, but I don't feel like Notre Dame is necessarily one of the leaders or like a favorite. Um, Malik Hartford is going to announce his commitment decision next week. Um, and I believe that he will be end up at Ohio state. I don't think that's going to work out for Notre Dame. Now, obviously Notre Dame already has two safety commits, but sort of the name that I, when I, even when I was going through the list, I was like, oh yeah, they might need to offer some new stations. I was like, oh duh, Ronan Hannafin is the guy that they um, have been sort of evaluating as a potential defensive player. And they had originally pursued as a wide receiver and he just uh, added Alabama and Clemson offers this week. So um, I think Notre Dame, 
uh, needs to figure out if they want Ronan Hannafin in the class and, and make that pretty clear pretty soon because he's getting more and more opportunities the longer his recruitment recruitment lasts. Um, so that that may be a guy, and I think people are familiar with that name, but maybe hadn't been thinking about him as much um, because of the bigger name wide receivers that Notre Dame has been going after. So it may be time to, I mean, defensive end is a position I think that maybe they could um, offer some more guys at. Obviously, you're in a good spot when you have Brendan Vernon and, and Keon Keeley committed to your class, but I think um, continuing to have sort of reinforcements at those positions um, will be important. So I know that's, I don't know if that's exactly what Loyal Sun was looking for, but hopefully that that's a little bit of a help. But uh, I think I think we're still in the we're still in the process where Notre Dame is going after those top tier guys, and um, maybe that I think it probably starts to expand after you, we we get through the blue gold game. That's going to be a big visitors weekend, and you get a better sense sense for where Notre Dame is at with those guys, and have a good sense of okay who's scheduling an official visit for the first weekend in June, which is going to be a big recruiting time, and. It, if you're not getting guys lined up for those opportunities, then I think you maybe need to start thinking of, of expanding the board and, and figuring out if there's some interest elsewhere. All right. Next one is from RRH1 on the Insider Lounge. Do you know anything about how tickets for Notre Dame versus BYU will be sold slash divided? Um, and that game, of course, is being played in Las Vegas. It's a Shamrock Series game. Not necessarily sure who's considered the home team for, for certain. Uh, Notre Dame is from a broadcast standpoint. It's an NBC game. Right. But I bet like in terms of like who gets more tickets, I, I, I don't know. I, and we don't know that, that, that stuff hasn't been made. Uh, that information hasn't been made public. I, I've sort of, I, I asked around once we received this question and didn't get an answer back. Um, and uh, my hunch is that BYU would have access to more tickets because Notre Dame did owe it a home game. Yeah. And that, the Notre Dame tickets would be available to season ticket holders first and the ticket lottery system after that. And I, I don't know that the like face value tickets would probably get past that stage. Now there's obviously secondary market tickets that will be available. Um, but that's at least my read of this. Um, that isn't from information that has been provided in any sort of way. I, I, I don't, I, hopefully we can find out more about that. It hasn't been, it isn't something I spent a lot of time thinking about, um, but it's on my radar now, so hopefully we can maybe get a better answer for that. And uh, I have to imagine details about that will be announced somewhat in the near future, but I, I, don't, I don't really know what that looks like. I can help muddy the waters here because I got <laughs> the question, similar question in chat, but it was more of a complaint. So the guy that um, sent the question in is with a club in Pennsylvania, and they normally get an allotment of, home game tickets, including, quote, Shamrock Series home games, and they were not offered those tickets. So they have tried to find avenues to get tickets, and they've been directed to the secondary market. So I'm going to try to help them out. So between the two of us, at some point, we should have a more lucid answer than what we gave today. <laughs> but it does seem like it's it's being handled different just based on this club in Pennsylvania's experience. Yeah. There's, and there's probably some scarcity there, um, which isn't surprising considering it's a game in Las Vegas. Um, but also it might not, Notre Dame might, might not have the majority of the tickets uh, to itself in, in the first place. 
Uh, next question is from Christine Ortega at Christine OND. Were you surprised by Blake Wesley's NBA decision? Were you surprised by the three transfer decisions at the women's basketball program? Sure seems like a step back for both of our basketball programs. Let's let's focus on Blake Wesley first, and then we'll talk about the women's basketball team. So what, what, were you surprised by Blake Wesley uh, saying goodbye to South Bend? I was not surprised that he put his name in. I was a little bit surprised later in the day when he was adamant that he's unlikely to use the escape hatch to come back to Notre Dame that he's, but then, I mean, if you're going to put your name in and you have that confidence that you're going to be a first rounder, you know, I think you want to push your chips in the middle of the table, but the fact that he still has the escape hatch, I think is a good thing for him. Uh, but to answer, um, her question I'm a little bit a little bit surprised by how much all in he was yeah I was somewhat surprised by his decision it, it just made too much sense for me for him to stay I just feel like that he could he could improve greatly become a very high, I mean it's sort of like the Jaden Ivey model it seemed pretty obvious <laughs> considering he's someone that's from here he's very familiar with Jaden Ivey now maybe he's not as confident in Notre Dame's ability to to improve him that way. I, but uh, um, I, I do understand the allure of the NBA and preferring to hey, if I'm going to develop next year, why not get paid to do that? Um, I know someone versus NIL deals. Yeah, I saw some comments about that. They're like, well, you can make money in Notre Dame. I was like, not a Notre Dame men's basketball player. I'm sorry, folks. I just I don't just I don't think there's a market for that. There, it's not Mission Barbecue and Dude Wipes isn't enough. Yeah, I think I think Sam Brunel's NIL uh, value uh, was was larger than Blake Wesley's, um, even though he's a local kid. Now, maybe he he probably could have leveraged that better after a breakout freshman year and, and done some things locally to to make some money. Um, but uh, again, why, why spend your time doing that when you can just devote all your time to to being a better basketball player in the NBA? We'll see. Obviously, it's, it's a risk. I mean, you, the clock can run out on you fast if you're not pr progressing and developing at the rate that that the NBA wants you to. So that's the risk you take by jumping into the NBA. And I think people will say, well, he's, he's, uh, he's raw. He, he's, he's not ready to play in the NBA right now. It's like, well, they're, they're not, not everyone's drafting guys that they need to play right away. And being young as an NBA prospect is a, is a good thing. Like they want guys that they, they can still get better. Um, they, uh, a, 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 a four-year senior is, is rarely a, a lottery pick because He's that much older and they, they feel like they know what he is. And they, the potential is that much more um, is that is, is so much more valued in, in the bat in the NBA draft, at least from my perspective as a, as a novice that follows it. But um, I, I think that that could work in his favor, even like we all see the flaws in Blake Wesley's game and that he's not going to be in, in, in the rotation in, in an NBA finals next season. But um, I think uh, um he had, he certainly has the potential. I think we, we saw, we saw that this past season. Okay. So, so with the women's transfers, you know, which came boom, 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 all within an hour of each other. Um, when I was trying to do something else, um, you know, I had followed the women's program pretty closely this year, at least from January on. And I had followed them before just kind of as an interested observer. I, I had always followed the women's program. Um, you know, I'm friends with Muffet McGraw's husband. And so 
I, I always kind of had an interest in them and I've followed their history and so forth. And I kept looking at Brunel and Peoples and saying, they should have larger roles on this team, at least situationally against certain opponents. Uh, there seemed, I felt like Dara Maybury at times, especially when she wasn't shooting well, th they were just going to live or die with her playing 35 minutes. And I didn't think that that was the best use of minutes for Peoples and Brunel. So neither of those surprised me. The one that shocked me was the glue player leaving, Abby Prohaska. I, I thought that Abby would, you know, you'd have to drag her away from Notre Dame at some point, even after she graduated. Um, and she would probably still come back and play against the current team to help them get better. Um, her leaving was a little jarring for me and made me wonder if this wasn't just the new era of the transfer portal. I think there's some of that in there. And there's, you know, especially when there's the chance that five starters return and, and those starters, other than Maya Dotson getting into foul trouble, played a lot of minutes. Um, but, but also what's jarring to me is that Niel didn't seem to see this coming, that you have only one newcomer coming in and KK Bransford, who's going to cut into more playing time for Prohaska and Peoples. Um, but, but there weren't more bodies. Um, now, again, she can hit the transfer portal, but I think, I, th I think people, I've, I've seen them make conclusions and I think some of them have gone too far, but I think some of the questions are good. What's going on with this team? Because there's still a lot of goodness and potential for the future. But to lose those kind of bench players all in the one clump is an eye-opener for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's certainly, yeah, it, an eye-opener is a good way to describe it. I think you can't really judge it until you see who they replace them with um, because Notre Dame can add transfers too. Like, that is that is the benefit of the transfer portal. Now, Notre Dame's, like, the ability to bring in transfers is, isn't the same as other schools in terms of, academic fits and all that stuff. We were well aware of that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, I mean, if you get, <laughs> you get a couple of Maya Dotson's coming in, uh, I think that would be great. You know, I mean, she, she was, she was excellent for Notre Dame. Um, so if you, if you can and find. She's a poster child for, Hey, they can develop these transfers because Maya Dotson was so much better at Notre Dame than she ever was at Stanford. Yeah. So, so, I, so I, 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 I want to be able to see like the bigger picture before I like start like, what is this program is in shambles? Like, like, okay, this is the first, this is the first step here. Like there's, there's more to come, but I do agree with you. Like it does seem odd that you would only have signed one recruit in the previous class and not have anticipated something like this happening. Um, now I know if you're like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe three months ago, you didn't think this was going to happen. Then, then, then you're in a tough spot. Like, you, you tell people to leave that don't want to leave. Um, so it, it's tough and may, maybe that's a lesson as a, as a new head coach that Neil has to learn. Um, so, uh, I, it's, it's certainly fascinating to see how it continues to develop, but, um, go ahead, Eric, what do you, what do you want to chime in with? The, the two, two players that we don't know what they're going to do is Gilbert, Caitlin Gilbert could also transfer. Right. She left, left the team for personal reasons in the middle of the year. So we don't know what's going on there. And Nat Marshall hasn't been healthy yet in two years. So I'm not sure that you can count on her. 
So that's the other area where you say, maybe you should have been, you know, adding more pieces before this. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh Niel has her hands full this offseason, uh, figure out what, 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 where to go yet. But there, I mean, there's still a lot of talent in the program. Uh, uh, <laughs> if they weren't pounding the table for Maya Dawson to get another year of eligibility, they need to be pounding even louder now because um, getting her back is, is even more important than it was uh, a week ago. Um, so uh, lots of, lots of uh, things to monitor. I mean, we, I mean, we are, I, I we I wouldn't consider us experts on either of the basketball programs as like you mentioned we we're following we're following them much closer now than we ever have before we we work with some pretty good men's and women's basketball reporters at the South Bend Tribune so they took care of all the all the all the hard work um, and so now we're picking up and trying to try to keep up with all the all the the moves and uh, it'll be uh, sort of fun to follow how everything plays out this offseason. All right, last question is from Pat Holston at ND Patman. If you could pick any Notre Dame alum to buy Brian Kelly's new house next to campus and use it to host recruit host recruits, whom would you choose? Okay, well, let's assume that that flies past compliance because <laughs> it's different from the head coach hosting recruits at his house than having an alum that's just outside campus hosting recruits. So let's pretend that all that's legal. You know, I tried to go through it in my night. I thought, well, Marcus Freeman, well, he's not an alum. Uh, Chad Bowden, he's not an alum. Uh, Pete Chivarelli already has two houses pretty <laughs> close to campus and one that's a great party house. Uh, I've been there after a game and it's, well, I'll tell you, he, alumni, recruits, and, you know, everybody but Tyler and me, because usually we're working Till that party ends. Um, Tom Lemming always invites us over and he doesn't understand that we have this pesky job to do after the game in which we have to write about what we just watched. Yeah, we're, we're busier after the game than we are during the game. <laughs> so I came up with Tom Mendoza because um, Tom has been an incredible resource that you may not think about. Anybody that's interested in the business school and there's a lot of recruits and players that are, Tom will meet them personally, talk to them about the business program, help them get, you know, line up internships and stuff. I mean, he's an incredible resource and a, a guy that I really have a lot of respect for. So this is probably a boring answer. I, there probably is some Notre Dame alum, you know, like Taylor Swift's brother or something that <laughs> would have been a better answer. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I went down the football at lane. So I was just thinking of former players. Um, so I mean, Jerome, I listened to the inside the garage podcast with Jerome Bettis as, as the guest. And I, I thought that was, it was really entertaining. Um, so I, I could see, I could see kids wanting to hang out with Jerome Bettis and, and talking to him. Um, I think the one that I sort of settled on was Kyle Rudolph. I think he's like, he's sort of the example, like, like of having a great NFL career that is also like young enough that people like recruits know who Kyle Rudolph is um, where, I mean, I think kids know who Jerome Bettis is too, but um, the, the list of players isn't as long with that. I mean, I mean, I, I certainly, I don't think it'd be a bad idea. Like if Brady Quinn lived, lived there, like I think that would be a good idea. I, I Golden Tate was another person that sort of came to mind that I thought, um, I think, uh, I think Golden would have a good time with, with the recruits. Uh, but uh so they'd all eat maple bars. Yeah, they'd all, yeah, they'd uh, have maple bars catered uh, to the house. So, 
Um, those are some of the names that I was thinking of. Um, uh, it, I, I wasn't thinking of the, uh, the non, uh, non-football folks. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Rudolph because when he was a younger player at Notre Dame, I went down and did a story on Notre Dame-Cincinnati connection. And it was Rudolph and Andrew Hendricks and Luke Massa. There are about four or five of them. We had them in our preview magazine. And so we hung out quite a bit over at Elder High School, which is where um, Kyle played. And they have these houses that line one side of the stadium. And Rudolph's parents and some other parents bought a house (laughs) that was adjacent to the stadium so they could party before and after the game at this house. So you are absolutely on the markets in the jeans that Kyle Rudolph would buy a house near Notre Dame stadium. And he was at practice today. Um, I I have no idea if he was looking for real estate in the area. (laughs) All right. That's it for today's episode of the inside ND sports podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with a friend. Uh, We'll be back hopefully next week. I think I told you guys last time that we would be back next week and then we weren't back next week. But uh, we're we're trying to get more regular and and line up our schedules in a better way that that can allow us to record uh, podcasts on a more regular basis. Um, We enjoy doing them. It's just a matter of finding the finding the time and (laughs) the time where both Eric and I are busy. Now that all the other sports are, are done besides baseball, uh, we should we should be ha- have a little bit better of a chance of being able to do that. So thanks for being patient with us as we've sort of been a little bit inconsistent and unpredictable with this new podcast feed. But we uh, it's an important part of what we plan to do, and uh, we appreciate you guys supporting us. Mm-hmm.